how far can my ability take me? And that excites me. I had a carton of juice, big carton, and I was drinking it. People were looking at me like, and then I got back and I had a friend. I said to her, everyone was looking at me while I was drinking the juice. She said, oh, because the kind that you're drinking, some people have that for a week. And I believe there's a plan for everyone. Just follow it. And as long as you apply yourself and you do what's in your control, then you're okay. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Boxing Science Podcast. This is an interview with Lorraine Richards in a very uh, different feel, different look to the podcast uh, that we've had in previous. We're doing it serious now. We've got uh, Jamie on board to do the videography uh, and we're going to be doing this more often as well. So we're excited for this new format of the podcast and we thought who else better to start it with than none other than Lerone Richards, fresh off his win from the IBO Super Middleweight World Championship. Lerone is a fantastic character to have about the gym and I love just like talking to him about uh, different stages of his career, uh, how he's relaxed, how he reflects on uh, his progress that he's made uh, over uh, a relatively long career compared to his fights. He's only had 16 fights now, but he's been around the professional game for uh, nine years and also he's got an extensive amateur record as well. Something that not many people talk about as often. So we wanted to get into that, um, talking about how he represented Ghana and had to live in Ghana for, for several months uh, in his bid to go to the 2012 Olympics. So it's about periods of inactivity in professional boxing and his hopes and aspirations for the future. So it's a fantastic episode, great to chat to Lerone. I hope you enjoy it. So before we start all this, I want to give a special shout out to our brand new partners, Saga Fitness. Saga Fitness is a specialist in uh, BFR training technology. So BFR is blood flow restriction, where we restrict the blood flow to a working muscle in order to uh, look for strength and muscular hypertrophy gains uh, without excessive uh, weight load. So we use this with the boxers uh, looking for functional muscular hypertrophy and also working back from, from injuries as well because we're able to target adaptations under less load or, or less intensity. There's many associated benefits. If you want to read our article on blood flow restriction training, the link is in the description. And also if you're wanting to know more about Saga Fitness or wanting to get uh, some bands, uh, check out the link in the description. The reason why these bands are so good is because when we started using uh, blood flow restriction training or otherwise known as occlusion training, we use like bands to like kind of uh, create like some tension on the arms or on the lower body. But this was all done through guesswork, but sometimes we underloaded it sometimes we overloaded it and there is some associated risks with blood flow restriction training. With the SARC Fitness bands, we are able to uh, set a pressure setting that is uh, accurate and also uh, bespoke to that individual. So if they find it too hard, we can take down the pressure. If they find it too easy, we can up the pressure as well. It's eliminating that guesswork and is is really effective tool and it's something that we've used uh, in Lerone's training and obviously uh, working across the boxing science athletes. So I highly recommend that you go and check that out and find out more about blood flow restriction training. Link is in the description. And if you want in to get your hands on some uh, some Saga Fitness bands, 
The link is in the description and also a discount code for this as well. Let's get on with the, uh, this week's uh, podcast episode with IBO Super Middleweight Champion of the World, Lavone Richards. So Lavone Richards and the new IBO Super Middleweight Champion of the World. How does that feel? It feels good. Um, I'm so happy. All the hard work that I put in had paid off and um, yeah, I'm so excited about what the future holds now. Talk to me about that fight. How did that come come about? Mm. What were you feeling going towards a fight and obviously how, how it played out on fight night? Well, initially I wasn't really looking for Carlos Gongora and I was sort of looking for a step up after the European title fight. And um, obviously there's some names in the hat and they offered me Carlos Gongora and I was like, yeah, let's go. Um, a top rated super middleweight, one of the hardest punching in the division, the most dangerous. And um, yeah, I was like, yeah, let's take up this challenge. And um, it went from there and obviously Saturday night, um, it was a, a tactical fight. I had to be really smart and um, really disciplined in my approach. And uh, yeah, we got the victory. Yeah, when I, I, first time I came across Carlos Gongoba, I was tuning in for the uh, Golovkin, so I met a fight, mm-hmm. and that was like literally a year to the day. Yes. Um, then uh, on Saturday night, and I watched him against uh, Aklamayov, mm-hmm. and I was messaging Callum Beardo at the same time, and I was mm-hmm. saying, This Gongoba is really good. Yeah. He's punching hard. I mm-hmm. think he's going to win, like, he was coming back into the fight, he was really dangerous. So I followed his career from there. Mm-hmm. Obviously, he got uh, another good win good knockout and then when he came up for to fight you yeah. it, it gave me the goosebumps because I was like thinking you've got the skill set to beat him yeah. but he's a really good fighter mm-hmm. and I think sometimes uh, with boxers they can end up being a little bit too careful with their career mm-hmm. and I don't know whether that's like not wanting to take the risk because you know what a, a loss can do for a fighter you back down the yeah. you back down the order yeah. um, how confident was you going into that fight I was very confident. Um, one thing I've always had is belief from the start of my career. I've always believed in myself and and uh, I know I've got the skill set to beat anyone in the, in the division and I knew that I'd beat Carlos Gongora and not only beat him, beat him well. Did he meet your expectations in the ring? He did. In fact, he was even better than what I thought. Um, but I knew he was good. Two-time Olympian. You know, he had a good amateur pedigree also a good professional IBO champion so I knew he had to I knew he brought a lot to the table but I just believed and I knew that I had more yeah I think my kind of nerves for the fight was not in terms of you being good enough I knew that you were good enough yeah. but it's the the step up in levels yes because I've been there before where a boxer stepped up in levels and even though technically skill for skill yeah should have the ability to beat him but getting in that ring and when you step up to British, European and then world level, yeah. it's always hard to kind of step up. What what kind of things have you learned from Saturday night from stepping up to that world level? Yeah, do you know, it was small, little small things, you know, like, it might sound a bit silly, but you know, we walk into the ring mm. and there's flags in the ring and you think yeah. to yourself, whoa, like. Yeah, that's what I said to Jordan. I says, you know, you're in a big fight when you've got the flags in the ring. Yeah, I was yeah. like, there's flags in the ring. Yeah. I was like, this is a big fight. Yeah. So little things like that. And yeah. like, 
when I got in the ring, it was like, I enjoyed my ring walk like I always do. And I got in the ring and I was like, yeah, this is world level. This is where I'm meant to be. And um, obviously the fight, the bot, the fight started and just little, small little things, little things that I learned in the fight that you need to have at world level. And obviously now I've got the victory. They're things that I'm going to continue working on and in the gym with Dave. Yeah. So leading up to that fight, I'm reminding you is how hard you've worked in camp mm -hmm. over six, seven months. But then also reminding you that it's 20 years of hard work. So let's go all the way back to the start. Yeah. How did you get into boxing? Uh, well, I started boxing at the age of six and a half. Um, mm. My dad took me to the gym. Exactly, six and a half. Six and a half, yeah. <laughs> so dad took, it, took me to the gym because I had a lot of energy as a mm. kid and he was like, what other way to burn it? Mm. When my dad done Thai boxing when he was younger, he was like, boxing might be a good good thing for, for me to do. So I started off at Kingston Amateur Boxing Club and um, yeah, it all started there. So going to the gym Monday, Wednesday, Friday after school um, and uh, with Freddie Barr, mm. he was my coach at the time. And um, yeah, just pushed on. And as I started to enjoy boxing more, my dad took me from Kingston to Repton, where I won most of my national titles there. How, how far away was that from where you lived? <sighs> hour, 45 minutes. Now 45 yeah, minutes? Yeah, depending, wow. depending on the traffic. Um, my dad done a lot. My mum and my dad done a lot, driving me back and forth. So I owe a lot to them. Yeah. yeah. It's like a lot of people talk about the the commitment of a, of an athlete, but in their early days, which is so important yeah. to build up their foundations for your career, you depend so much on on your family. Your family, uh, yeah. I've seen seen it uh, when I first noticed it when because I, I I never got to academy level when I played football. Mm. I trained twice a week and then played on a Sunday. Yeah, but I knew from my from some of my friends that were going to the academy, uh, how often they trained. And then when I was at Sheffield United Academy as a strength conditioning coach, seeing like these young kids yeah. turning up like like four or five days a week yeah. to train. And then the parents have stood there and waiting there. And like then you find out that they're traveling an hour thinking what all the working commitments and everything like that. It kind of, when you're a kid, you don't realize it like yeah. the commitment levels of, of the parents. But when you're actually growing up and being around them and thinking, well, these parents having to stand about for training yeah. and uh, yeah, traveling there. What was what was the reason why you went to Repton and what was Repton Boxing Club like? So Kingston was a good club. Yeah. I learned the basics there. Freddie Barr was a very good coach, um, but I felt like I outgrew it. There wasn't a lot of, say, juniors there. Mm. Um, I met a man called Tim Ward in um, Kingston and he said, look, you've got so much ability. He told my dad, mm. he's got ability. Why don't you take him to Repton? So my dad took me to Repton at the age of 12, 12, 13, 12 and a half, 13. And uh, it was different. It was yeah. like, whoa. Because when I started sparring, I was constantly sparring national champions after national champions and the level was completely... Iron sharpens iron. Yeah, but it was like... Yeah, it was hard when I first got to Repton. Mm. The sparring was really hard because I never operated at that level before. Um, so I learned a lot at Repton um, and um, yeah, it took me to another level. 
and it's quite inspiring all the pictures on the wall tell me about your picture being there yeah so <laughs> there's a wall and in Reptum and it's got all the champions it's obviously got names like Audley Harrison Darren Barker um, Gary Barker um, yeah the list goes on Sonny and Charlie Edwards Sonny well. Charlie Edwards there's, there's a lot of well, talent lot of champions, on there yeah a lot yeah. of talent on that wall and yeah, I really wanted to get on that wall for history. Yeah. And um, yeah, it took me six national titles to get on that yeah. wall. It was, it was hard, but I got there in the end. Yeah. yeah. So what national titles did you win? All like youth and junior? Yeah, so I won more, everything as a youth and a junior. Um, I just missed out on the senior ABAs. Yeah. Yeah. So talk to me about kind of being, being a senior amateur. Uh, quite interesting story about you going to Ghana to yeah. represent Ghana. Talk, yeah. talk to me about how, how that came about, some of the experiences yes. on there. So I wanted to go to 2012 Olympics and obviously being at the time, obviously national champion at 75 kilos, I wanted to fight the senior champion who at the time was um, Anthony Ogoga. Oh, right, yeah. Um, but obviously he was selected to go for um, GB. So because I really wanted to go to Olympics, I thought, let me um, find another way. Mm. So my mum's obviously of Ghanaian heritage, my dad's Jamaican, and I was like, let's go for Ghana. So I got a dual nationality. Mm-hmm. And then I flew off to to Ghana and I was fighting all the Ghanaian champions out there. Yeah. How, how long did you spend out there when you went? I was out there for four or five months, yeah. Wow. Yeah, I was out there for a while. Um, how, do you, how do you find like adapting to the culture out there? I loved it. Yeah. I loved it. Obviously, the food I loved, um, the people, yeah. you know, I loved. and Because you know what? It's like they don't have as much as what we have here, mm. but yet they're happy. Wow. So I saw like a different way of life. Yeah. Um, it's a story, right? So I was, I left mine because I was thirsty. So I was like, let me walk down to the roadside. Mm. So I'm walking with my flip-flops to the roadside. Yeah. How, how fast or slow we're walking? <laughs> <laughs> Relatively quite slow. <laughs> and I went to, the, went to the shop to get juice. Yeah. And uh, I had a carton of juice, big carton, and I was drinking it, walking back. And people were looking at me like, like I was mad. And then I got back and I had a friend, her name was Rose, really good friend of mine. And uh, she, I said to her, everyone was looking at me while I was drinking the juice. She said, oh, because the kind that you're drinking, some people have that for a week. Wow. And I was just like, wow. And then I realized that I have it good, Mm. you know? So, gives you a real perspective when you go to a place like that. Yeah. Ghana is a lovely country and I just, I learned a lot when yeah. I was out there. Like, I know it sounds a bit cliche a bit, but I went there a boy and I came back a man. Yeah. Yeah. It changed me. Yeah. It's amazing. It's an experience that most people don't have. Yeah. To be able to go and do Crazy. that. Um, I want you to repeat a story that you were saying to me the other day about the, the big puncher. Like your box, because obviously, like we're going into a fight against Gongora, you're going past on, are you reflecting on past experiences? Yes. And you talked to me. I forgot. I forgot the guy's name. His name is Emmanuel Marte. Yeah. The biggest puncher that you faced. Oh, he was. Oh. So, but, <laughs> yeah. So he was a southpaw, 
And um, Emmanuel Marte, he ain't been beaten for a while in Ghana. Um, really good quality operator. And I beat him. Mm. Um, and uh, I remember boxing, I had to be really smart. Um, really, really smart. And I learned a lot about myself that day as well because I knew that I can operate with punches. Because in Ghana, all you're fighting is punches. Yeah. You know, so I learned when I was in Ghana, I was tough. Mm. And um, I remember he hit me with the most ferocious uppercut. Yeah. <laughs> My bottom lip was blue for like two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, um, yeah, that was the story about Emmanuel Marte. And they were quite hostile territory. Oh yeah, hostile, very hostile. There was um, people shouting in the language, kill him. Yeah. Yeah, kill him. Um, oh, mate. What an experience! Yeah, what an experience. So, what what happened in terms of like getting getting to the Olympics? Did, what how far did you get? Did you become Ghanaian national champion? Yes. Then- so I became number one in Ghana. Yeah. And then we travelled uh, for a training camp in Azerbaijan. All right. And then came back and then went to Morocco for the Olympic qualifiers, where I got to the quarterfinal. Okay. Um, got beat by the world number three Algerian, which. Just, you know, just, I'd say the um, decision wasn't debatable, but I got beat. Yeah. And um, yeah, so I got just missed out on the Olympics. Yeah. Because if I beat him, then I would have qualified for 2012. Yeah. Yeah. And from from there, what, what were your decision then? Were, were it to go straight professional or did you have another crack at, at the amateurs again? So when I got back, um, I was in two minds, really. Mm. Um but then I went back into the ABAs. Yeah. Um, and I lost in the semi-finals. Yeah. Um, and then after I got beat in the semi-final, I was like, it's time. Time to turn pro. Yeah, it's time to turn professional. Yeah, talk to me about the other days, professional, you set up, kind of promotional, like kind of you are, <laughs> yeah, if I, you've gone the the long route. Yeah, so. Small old shares. Turn professional, usually people with national titles and amateur pedigree would get like a promoter back back yeah. in them, but I had no promoter backing me. Um I got on a show with Miranda Carter, so I got a big shout out to Miranda Carter mm. who put me on her show, boxing on Sunday shows. Yeah. Getting paid nothing. Sometimes fifty pounds and just here and there, like mm. but this is the time where I didn't really know boxing was a business. I just thought it was just a hobby. And mm. I was just enjoying what I did. Um, so it started off really slow um, under the radar yeah so when did you start getting getting noticed and getting onto like kind of bigger cards so on my third professional fight a boxing hole um, on Eddie Hearn show oh yeah um, and same one as Gary McDonald and Lee and Wood. Lee Wood yeah. that one yeah so that's when you first crossed paths yes, with, it was, uh, Jordan with, yeah, jo- yeah yeah and um, and Dave yeah yeah um and uh, it was, yeah, it was a good experience. I boxed okay. I boxed well against a guy of a winning um, sort of record, 50-50 record. And um, I thought, oh, I was going to sort of move on from there. I'll be on the shows a lot more often. But yeah. I went back on the Miranda Carter show. And then I sort of had managerial, well, I had managerial problems. I was just getting messed around. And um, I had to wait two and a half years out of the ring. Um, wow. Yeah. What total not not fighting for two and a half years? Didn't fight for two and a half years, but and what what did how did you stay motivated during then? Oh well, I stayed positive. Yeah. I was thinking, you know what, I'm young, 
Um, I still got a lot to learn. So let me spar. Let me become a sparring partner. So I was sparring lots of Billy Joe Saunders. I was Billy Joe Saunders' main sparring partner for Andy Lee. Oh, wow. And yeah. then I was sparring George Groves. Doing a little rounds with George. Um, Tony Bellew. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, I was getting around. Made me realize his spar belly. Yeah, I sparred Tony Bellew well, for... Was a light heavyweight, I guess. Yeah, I sparred him for the Adonis Stevenson. Oh, right, yeah. yeah. It's obviously Southpaw. Yeah, so um, I was getting around, just gaining as much experience as I could. And then when the two and a half years was done, mm. I yeah. um, signed with Frank Warren. Yeah, so that's... It's amazing to go out and get them them sparring experiences. Did you do anything to like kind of get the most out of it, like in terms of like reflecting and, and getting feedback from? Yeah, so after I would have sparred them, I'd ask them about, you know, mm. what should I improve on this, that, and they'll give me good feedback. Yeah. Um, all of them, yeah. they'll give me good feedback. And um, I learned a lot about myself, obviously being in the ring with them, because they're, they're, they're high level operators. Yeah. And um, taking in the prime bits. as well, and in their prime, yeah. Mm -hmm. So um, yeah, it was great. It was a great experience. Which would you say was the most valuable experience out of that in terms of sparring? Mm, what in terms of the fighter? Mm. I would say George Groves. Um, George Groves was good. Mm -hmm. I learned a lot, a lot from George Groves. Um, Tony Bellew. I sparred him only twice, but whereas George Groves, I sparred him a lot more frequently. Yeah. Um, so I'll say George Groves. When you spar people more frequently, but you, you're more likely to get the best out of them. Yes. Because one, they adapt to you. Yeah. And two, you're not going to catch them just on a bad day. That's it, yeah. You're going to catch them on every day possible, bad day, and a, and a very good day as well. Yeah. So you end up getting the best out of them. Mm -hmm. And uh, George what, Groves... What was fight was he uh, preparing for? Um... I sparred Jules Groves when he was meant to box Jamie Cox. That's one. Oh, um, okay. And there was another guy. That was a southpaw. I can't remember. Yeah. Yeah. But it's not Badu Jack, is it? He's not a No, 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 no. I can't remember, but um, yeah, I was sparring George for that. Wow. Some amazing experiences. Yeah. It yeah. was great. And like... Even now, the things that I learn from the spars, mm. I still use now in, in my fights. So mm. it's um, put me in great stead. Another thing that kind of has, has prolonged your like, kind of progress in your career in terms yeah. of um, inactivity is the injuries that you've had in mm -hmm. terms of your shoulder. Yeah. Let's explain a little bit more how they come about and serious. Yeah, serious. Has, yeah I've had some um, serious uh, operations on my shoulder and it's not, no one really knows about it, um, but it's it took me a long time to get back and it hindered my boxing for a long period of time. Mm. There was at times where I was just fighting with one hand, with one arm and no one really, no one noticed. Mm. Um, but it took me a long time. It took me a lot of commitment um, to just continue to build it up and build it up so it got strong. And obviously now it's... It's near enough, hundred percent now, so can't complain. So with your shoulder injuries, that's when you first started doing better strength and conditioning. How did how did that help? Yeah, so um, it when I started doing strength, 
it's still like, obviously it increased obviously the strength of my shoulder, but then at the same time made me realize how weak it actually was. Mm. Um, obviously after the operation, there'll be days where it felt like he was getting better. And then mm. days where it felt like I was starting from square one. So like, I just had to stick at it. And um, yeah, it's made a huge difference, a huge difference now. A lot of people think of strength conditioning, improving speed in power, explosiveness, but injury prevention is a massive key. Yeah, and I read something that if I had done strength before mm. my operation, or if I'd done it before, then I probably would not have got the injuries. Mm. And if I had the injuries and I was doing sort of sort of rehab on it and I was doing all the exercises, then I would have um it would not have been so so um so career threatening. Yeah. Um so yeah, um it's crazy how I come back, but I just like I said, I'm very, very, very committed. Yeah. And um if I want something and it's realistic, I always get it. Yeah. What stops you from doing strength conditioning before? I think it's just not knowing. Mm. I didn't really I didn't know the benefits. Um when I'm looking into it and I'm being around sort mm. of fighters, say like George Groves and I'm seeing, oh, okay, he's doing a bit of strength here and mm. You know, you hear Tony Belly talking about strength here and you think, okay, I'm missing out on something here. And then you start to add things. And as you start to progress in your career, you start to add things to, to improve yourself. And um, since I started doing strength, I've not turned back because I know the benefits. Yeah, that's great. So you've moved up to here yeah, around about uh, 18 months ago now. Yes. So middle, middle of 2020. Yeah. middle of the, the pandemic yeah uh what was your choice to to uproot move to Rotherham and uh train with Dave Caldwell yeah so earlier on the, that year I was in Vegas and I was training with Ismail Salas and um it was great learning yeah. so much out there pandemic hit had to fly back um and then uh when the restrictions sort of lowered I needed a coach and um I got asked by my management team, um, S-Jam, to think about a coach that I would want to train with. And I was like, mm, what guy would be best for my style? I need a world-level coach. And I looked around and I was like, Dave Calder. So I believe they contacted Dave and then it all went from there. Yeah. What what kind of attracted you to, towards Dave being, you know, um, in terms of his style of fighters? Well, I'm quite um, funny when it comes to certain things. So I would watch a lot of videos mm -hmm. before I meet someone. Like if they're on YouTube, I'd watch them and see their body language and hear the way they speak. And I thought, okay, he's smart. Yeah, He knows what he's doing. He's very experienced, obviously, with the successes that he's had with a few champions, obviously, mm -hmm. notably um, mm -hmm. Tony Belly. Yeah. Um, and I was like, yeah, I want to work with this guy. But let me just see how it works first. And mm. then when I started doing pads with him and started doing a few things, I was like, well, I'm learning. Mm. I'm learning here. Because I'm like a sponge. Yeah. I always like learning. And then um, I wanted to work with Dave soon. Like, I, and then I thought, you know, I want to work with him and we can um, we have a future. What improvements have you seen in yourself? Um, my attitude's improved. I've always had a good attitude, but even more so now, like it's just different. It's a world-class attitude. 
Um, I met you through yeah. Dave. Um, Dave recommended you to me and he was like, this guy's good strength coach. Mm. I was like, oh, okay, go on YouTube again. Let me see. Let me <laughs> Enough see content what, on let there. Let me see. Okay. Jamie makes me look good on yeah. there. <laughs> Better than what I am. And, um, <laughs> it's like, yeah, I like this guy. Let me just see how this guy, um, how we get on and we got along well. And um, yeah, everything's just gelled together. Yeah. Perfectly. And, and, and we've progressed into Boxing Science Performance Centre, but when we first met, it was in a field in, field, in Winkerbank. Yeah. <laughs> turned up on the hottest day of the year yeah. with a sweatsuit on. Yeah. And basically, I told you to warm up to do a steady run. And you just jogged the slowest jog I've ever seen. Yeah, I think I could walk faster, to be honest, mate. Man, I thought it was And I was just looking and I was just thinking, yeah, I've got my work cut out here. Yeah. <laughs> I thought but, I was running fast. Yeah. <laughs> but that's like your. You had a very um, good, like, kind of base for strength training and very good attitude towards strength training. The mm-hmm. the main thing for me was the conditioning. What what kind of kind of held you back from doing like kind of high intensity conditioning? Well, I've obviously when before I met you, I was doing strength, mm. but I never done conditioning mm. in such so, like like. There was a science to it. Yeah. And um, you just brought me, you, know, you put something new to the table and I was just like, whoa, I didn't know this even existed. What have I missed? Mm. I'm not getting the best out of myself. And obviously now working with you and over the last 18 months, it's mm. like, take me to the next level and just want to keep improving, improving, improving. Yeah. And probably seeing the main difference between your performances from your British title fight where you did 12 rounds, but then you were f- fatiguing at some, some parts yeah. of that. And then obviously a European title fight. Yeah. How, what, what was the key differences there in terms of your fitness? Well, the fitter you are, um, obviously the longer you can go, um, but also helps with your concentration. Yeah. And in boxing, that's one thing you need is concentration. And um, it's increased, well, it's improved my performance in yeah. leaps and bounds. Yeah. Like the boxing and the strength has worked and the condition has worked in hand, hand in hand because I'm now an elite athlete and uh, there's no ceiling. I know there is so much more for me to um, improve. Like, so I'm excited. Yeah. Yeah, that's definitely exciting because like you think that the shape that you're in, yeah. the numbers that you're hitting, the performance that you put in on Saturday night. Yeah. But then there's still areas for for improvement there. Mm-hmm. Which is really exciting because most people are very satisfied with what you've achieved. Yeah. And the performances that you're putting in. Mm-hmm. But you're still you're perfectionist to a point where, you know, you need to appreciate your your progress. Yes need to reflect on it and think like how far have you come but at the same time it's like to to get up to that elite standard you need to keep improving keep improving i think the matter about like say success being grateful but mm. then not being satisfied like um i want to push my body i want to see 
when it comes to training, I want to push my body to the highest. Mm. How far can I push my body? Yeah. And when it comes to the tr- when it comes to the boxing, how far can my ability take me? Yeah. And that excites me. Um, so yeah, future's bright. So it's been successful, yeah. Twenty twenty one. Yeah. European and and IBO world uh, world champion now. What? How do you reflect on on this year? Because uh, obviously twenty twenty was a tough year for you. Yeah, yeah, it's tough. Um, been it's been crazy, really. Mm. You know, um, it's been a tough year for everyone. Mm. You know, with this COVID and mm. the virus going around. Um, so I'm so happy that I've achieved what I've achieved this year. I think this year as well has shown like I've I've been able to. I've had the platform to show everyone who I am. Yeah. Like, I don't take myself too seriously. I like to have a laugh. I like to have fun. I can be serious at times, but I like to have a laugh and enjoy myself because that's yeah. what life's about, being happy and yeah. enjoying yourself. So I've had the opportunity to do that. I've had the opportunity to showcase my skills to the world. And, um, and um, yeah, win the titles and... 2022 is going to be a big yeah, year. For so, what what are your goals for 2022? To keep improving, to keep being the best me. Yeah. Um, that's what I um, always say every year. Yeah. Be the best possible version of yourself. That's, and that's it. important. That's it. And then whatever happens after that happens. Yeah. Um, I'm in line now, I think, for big fights. I put myself in that position. Um, but. Yeah, the future's bright. I just need to now focus, just focus on myself and developing yeah. strength. Bo- main, obviously, main thing the boxing element. Yeah. Um, and then um, I'll fulfill my dreams. What are your dreams? Um, do you know I don't really like to say um, what my dreams are, but that don't make it for an exciting podcast, mate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but um, I know that if I apply myself. And I, uh, yeah, apply myself and do the right things, then um, I'll end up achieving them. Yeah, I like that because everyone says about having a five-year goal or set goals for uh, the year and everything like that. But with that, it applies pressure and expectations. So uh, and then there's curveballs in the way. Mm-hmm. So. For example, with the pandemic, that's paused a lot of people's progress. Yes. So then the expectations aren't met. Mm. So then they might end up being a bit down on themselves or not really reflecting in the right way of and putting things into perspective. Um, and also, if you set up some goals, it might limit you. Mm-hmm. you no, know, you didn't set out a goal to be IBO Super Middleweight Champion this year. No, I didn't. And, it, and no. the opportunity came. Um with me, like in terms of like boxing science, I didn't expect to be in a facility like this okay. uh, at this at this stage of my yeah. career. Um, through the pandemic and everything like that, the the business has totally changed, mm-hmm. and we're achieving so much more than kind of what I, I set out. So, mm-hmm. a lot of people kind of say to set goals, to set dreams, but then if you don't do that, then it's you you need to be motivated. Yes. You need to be uh, aspirational. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, you don't want to limit 
limit yourself too much and also put that pressure on yourself because if you don't achieve it in a certain time frame then that might hinder your motivation going forward yeah I think it helps with sort of my personality because I'm just quite laid back yeah so I just go with the flow and you know um, whatever happens happens and I believe there's a plan for everyone yeah so um, the plan is already written so just follow it and as long as you apply yourself and you do what's in your control. Yeah. Control the controllables. That's it. Then you're okay. Something that you're really good at, and I don't think that you actually realise, is visualising. Visualisation. Mm. That's a sports psychology thing. And have you ever done anything like that before? What, like study sports psychology? Mm. Or work with sports psychologists no, or never, anything? No, So, like, when... We've talked about the Gongora fight. Mm. You've said exactly what you're going to do in terms of like, the, like your tactics and stuff. I'm just going to use my jab, just go pop, 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 mm, all yeah, stuff yeah. like that. And then I'm going to work on the inside. I'm going to ting, 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 and yeah. stuff like that. And it's yeah. all like said in jest. But I was like watching that and thinking that's visualization and that's really important sports psychology trait. So I just wondered. No, never. Uh, how, do, how does that help you, like, going through, like, kind of what you can do um, in a fight? It's weird because it was, I think it's sort of like, that's mad that you say that because I didn't yeah. really realise. Yeah. You've got, you've got good, you've got good sports psychology traits. Yeah. In terms of, like, do you know, like, talking about the sparring. Yes. Reflecting and then, yeah, ask for the, Advice like after the fight, like he had, went straight up to Tony Bellew and went, Have you got any tips? Yeah. On what I can improve on? That's it, yeah. And that, that's that's great sports psychology, really. And sometimes you need to be taught how to do that, but sometimes it just happens by accident. It's true, yeah. I think you can't be um, ignorant, you can't think you know it all. Mm. You know, sometimes you need to ask questions. Yeah. And like even through positives or say I got the win on 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 the weekend, look at what you you have to look and think. Okay, what can I improve? And obviously enjoy the win, but look at what can I improve? And I'm not the finish article. Yeah, not the finish article at all. But see, that's what excites me because I'm like, how far can I push myself? That wasn't forty percent of me. Yeah, I know that. Others that see me box might think, okay, that's at like 60% of the room. But yeah. I know that's only 40. Mm. So when still I'm, impressing a lot of people, yeah. mate. So when it hits 100, and it yeah. will hit 100 because of my commitment yeah. and my attitude, I'm going to be a very, very hard man to beat. It'll hit 100 right at the right time. Yeah. yeah I'm going to be a very, very hard man to beat. <laughs> I'm laughing now. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm very, very hard to beat. No, when... You go into the change room, so I've never seen anyone so so relaxed. Uh, is is that just happens natural? I think it's experience. Yeah, I've had over well, I had a hundred amateur fights. Um, I just believe in myself. Hmm. It's not false. I yeah. know what I do. I know what I'm good at. I know what I'm capable of doing. Fully believe in myself, and I know when to switch on. I don't need to. Why do I need to, like, obviously some people do things differently. Some people get nervous. Whereas, like, me, I'm like, I know when to switch on. Yeah. That's in that ring. 
Yeah. Um, I'm, I know my job. Yeah. Before it, you were just laughing to yourself. And then the last song that were played before you went on your ring walk was the Transformers yeah. theme tune. Yeah. The most comments that I get on Instagram when I post your videos is about the soundtrack yeah. in this gym. We've had Lion King, we've had Pirates at Caribbean, we've had Will Young Evergreen. Yeah. Talk to me about your music taste. <laughs> Where's that come you know from? What? Like our music taste, my music taste and our music taste is what people listen to on their headphones. Yeah. But they don't want the whole world to know about it. <laughs> yeah. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Um but uh it's yeah cool, it's cool to listen to Drake, but not so cool listening to Will Young and yeah. Shane Ward. Um, <laughs> yeah it's good we don't take ourselves too seriously and it's good to listen to different types of music yeah yeah um, I remember being in um, Corwell gym during pandemic when didn't have a facility to work in and you put on some music and it was the first time you put first time you put on anything like this it was Shane Ward that's yeah. my goal and you kind of looked at me and I was just like, yeah, I appreciate this. Yeah, <laughs> I appreciate the approval, that. yeah. 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 And then it ended up being Lion King and everything King, like that. Yeah. Then. Just so, went from there. Crazy. Yeah. But a very different uh, playlist going into the fight. Yeah. Um, a little bit more serious. Yeah, with the black and yellow. Yeah. Um, obviously, I wear black and yellow shorts, so it, it, it works and I like the song. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to ask you something that everybody asks you. Mm. The black and yellow. The Sniper of the Boss. Yes. Where's it all come from? Yeah, so Sniper of the Boss came from my dad. Um, yeah. When I was a kid, starting off, I was very good at throwing long, short, long shots and long punches. And he was like, okay, he's like a sniper. Mm. And um, But you're the best at that. You're the boss. So he put it together. Sniper the Boss. And I've had that name since I was seven years old. Yeah. It's very different. Nobody else has got that. Yeah, I didn't know. I didn't think much of it at the time. Yeah. Because it was my dad wrote it in my boxing glove, my first boxing glove, sniper, the, sniper the boss, and I was just like, I didn't think much of it at the time, but I've always had that name. Yeah. And um, with the black and yellows, Muhammad Ali, float like yeah. a butterfly, sting like a bee, and um, my style resonates yeah. with that. So yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, I just stick with it. Talking about Muhammad Ali, what is he your favorite fighter that you look up to, and what other influences have you had on your style? Yeah, so Muhammad Ali is one of them. Um, the relaxed, mm. the confidence, yeah, um, the movement, the, the sweet science, sweet science of boxing, and uh, but there's other fighters like Pernell Whitaker, yeah, fantastic. Mike McCallum. Um, I've got a new favorite now, um, Terence Crawford. Mm-hmm. Um, all these guys, James Tony, yeah, all these guys are the ones that I watch. Um, and if I can get to the level that they're at or they were or even a little bit I'll be a very happy man do you study much? I do yeah Yeah. it's my job isn't it? yeah I study I watch these fighters and um, it's just beautiful boxing yeah smart fighters intelligent fighters yeah and it's longevity Mm. you know Boxing's about hitting, not being hit. And um, I'm good at doing that. Yeah. Yeah, working towards your strengths rather than trying to be something that you're not. Exactly. Um, When it comes to winning fights, winning fights, the easiest way you can win a fight 
Yeah. Not the hardest. Why am I going to make my job harder mm. when I can make it easier? Could, you could have made that job harder. Um, yeah. It's like um, if I got, if the shop's just down the road, straight down the road, mm. five minute walk, mm. why am I going to walk around the block that takes me 15 minutes to get to the shop if I want to get there as fast as possible? Yeah. It doesn't make sense, does it? No. I'd rather walk straight. Yeah. So that's boxing, how um, that's, uh, boxing made easy yeah. in the simplest in the simplest so format. So that is how I look at life and yeah. how I look at boxing. But you look at that fight with with Gongo and Akhmedov, and he you were you beating him. Yeah. At boxing, him. but yeah. then he started making the wrong decisions in the fight, and that's mm-hmm. why he lost the fight. That's it. And the thing is, it's the outcome. You can't say oh, I've won nine out of twelve rounds. So I, I should have beat him. Yeah. You're making the wrong decisions and end up the outcome is that you've that you've lost. That's it. So and that that's what could have happened if you went if you tried to stand toe to toe and and try and uh, match him for power. Yeah, which you're not going to because he's he's a natural puncher. He is. Yeah, you got to work to your strengths. Yeah. Um, stay in your own lane. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's a good attitude to have. Um. Right, we're going to finish off this podcast with uh, what we call 12 by 3. So we need a timer. We've got a timer, Tommy? It's got its old Casio stopwatch. <laughs> uh, we're going to do 12 questions mm. in three minutes. Okay. So 12 by 3s, because you should be the master at this. <laughs> the master 12-round 12, 12 fighter. So you should be able to get these 12 questions in. Okay, so are we ready? All right, starting from Nan. So, what's who is your favourite ever fighter? Pono Itoka. What's the best live fight you've seen, either on TV or in person? Um, Linares and Crawler. What What are your favourite exercises to perform? Um. It's hard because I like a lot of them. You like jumping? Yeah, um, squats. Squats? Yeah. Okay. What's your least favourite exercise to do? Airbike. Airbike. <laughs> 100%. That took a lot, yeah. a lot quicker. Uh, what's been the be- biggest setback of your career so far? Um... Inactivity. What's the best moment of your career? Winning on Saturday night. Brilliant. What are three non-negotiable behaviours? What do you mean? So behaviours that are non-negotiable. So maybe it's uh, attitude, Mm. giving 100% effort, stuff like that. Okay, um... Yeah, so obviously attitude, um, like you said. Um, manners, can I be one? Yeah, that's perfect, yeah. And um, respect. Good. What's your favourite film? Shawshank Redemption. Straight away? Yeah. What's your favourite song? Ooh. 
Do you know what? <laughs> Can you feel the love tonight? Yeah. Lion King. Lion King. Yeah, brilliant. It's a good tune. Who is the biggest influence on your career? My dad. What's the goals for 2022? To be the best I can be and to fulfill my potential. And what is your number one goal in your career? To become a world champion. Yeah. We've got the IBO. We've got the but IBO. But we want one of the... We want, we want one of the, the major belts. Good. Yeah. How long's that? 2.40. 240 you got 20 seconds. Are we going to fill it? Um, I was going to sing, but you know... Go on. Um, Go on. you got gators. you gators for everyone else. Well, for that Christmas song, yeah? Yeah. Okay. We wish you a Merry Christmas. We wish you a Merry Christmas. We wish you a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Good stuff, mate. That is a perfect way to end the podcast. <laughs> Laverne, thank you very much, mate. Yes. Much thank appreciated. You, yeah. And I'm sure we'll get you back on the podcast probably this time next year. Yes. More Christmas songs. Yes. And more titles. Good willing, yeah. Yeah. Good That's stuff, mate. Plan, mate. Yeah. It's been a pleasure. We could.